Okay, so... In 1979, infamous schlock director Roger Corman decided he wanted to produce a high school musical, something in the key of Greece, which was a massive hit the year before. But the 53-year-old director wasn't sure what music kids were into. First, he called it Disco High. Then he decided it was Heavy Metal Kids, starring Van Halen or Cheap Trick. Finally, he settled on a movie with the Ramones called Rock and Roll High. In their first scene, the Ramones cruise up to their own concert, devouring fried chicken in a red convertible. Later, they storm the school hallways and burn the place down, and that explosion was real, like five times bigger than it was supposed to be. Adios, Mount Carmel Catholic High School in Watts. But that's not even the most punk rock thing in the movie. The most punk rock thing is two seconds of footage from the Ramones' crazy concert. Pause at minute 57 and look for an uncredited 20-year-old extra in a white leather jacket. In the middle of the Screaming Ramones fans, there's Darby Crash of the Germs, looking super bored. Skillset is the podcast where every guest is an expert, and every week they teach you and me a new way to look at the movies. Like our first guest, Elvis Presley's best friend Jerry Schilling, who tells us what really happened when the king met the president. Actor J.K. Simmons lays down his cards about his love of poker. How scary good is his poker face? And no bullshit mom Jane Marie suffered through the new movie Mother's Day. She definitely deserves extra flowers and chocolate. That is all in this week's episode of Skillset. There's this movie coming out about a very weird incident in American history. On December 21st, 1970, the security guards at the White House got a surprise visitor, Elvis Presley, who pulled up and gave them a handwritten letter requesting a meeting with President Nixon. Elvis wanted Nixon to make him a federal agent at large, a job title that Elvis himself made up. Here's in part what the letter said. Dear Mr. President, first, I would like to introduce myself. I am Elvis Presley and admire you and have great respect for your office. I have two men who work for me by the name of Jerry Schilling and Sonny West. I'll be here for as long as it takes to get the credentials of a federal agent. I have done an in-depth study of drug abuse and communist brainwashing techniques, and I'm right in the middle of the whole thing where I can and will do the most good. The drug culture, the hippie elements, the SDS, Black Panthers, etc. do not consider me as their enemy, or as they call it, the establishment. I call it America, and I love it. That guy Jerry that Elvis mentioned? They'd been friends since Jerry was 12 years old, and when Elvis went to the White House, he insisted Jerry come with. Now, their strange day is a movie, Elvis and Nixon, in which Michael Shannon plays the king and Kevin Spacey plays a very confused president. We found Jerry, and we asked him whether the film captures their unusual adventure. When I got to the Oval Room after Elvis, it was Elvis that opened the door. I mean, I thought I was at Graceland. He took over even... The president was second to Elvis in the Oval Room, if you will. I can't think of anybody else who could have pulled that feeling off. No. I, uh, you know, back at the time, it was just normal for me being around him like that. But now when I look back history, I go, wow, I forgot who this guy was. You know, when you live with somebody, work with them, live in the same house and everything, you know, every day they're pretty normal people. You think... But when you look back on it, it was pretty, uh, pretty amazing. So Nixon and Elvis actually stayed in contact. I, I heard that Elvis called Nixon 
later on when Nixon was in the hospital, and that Nixon actually did the same for Elvis when he was sick. That's very true. I, um, probably against all odds, I think they hit a bond of, you know, they're both at the top of their careers, if you will. Maybe, maybe not at the top at the moment, but their careers were the top. You know, he was the most famous entertainer in the world, and Nixon was the most powerful guy in the world, if you will. And there's a little loneliness at the top, and uh, I think they bonded on that. And I didn't expect Nixon to, be, to get Elvis. I really didn't, and he did. Well, I want to clear up one thing that the film says that I heard is not true in real life. In the film, Elvis says that part of why he wants to become a federal agent at large is to spy on people like the Beatles. But in truth, he, he did like the Beatles. Very much so. Elvis said to Nixon what he thought Nixon would want to hear. And um, because he had a mission, he wanted to get this badge that was honored internationally because he was playing on touring internationally. Uh, it's just like what politicians do today. You know, they know who they're meeting with, they plan up, and they say the things that will most likely get them what they want if they say it to the person. I thought I knew Elvis very well, but in this film, I started to realize what I didn't know about Elvis was how good he was at reading people and then figuring out how to get what he wanted from them. Well, I don't think it was that calculated in most situations. I think this one may have been, you know, but normally, you know, he just liked people. He, he enjoyed meeting them when he wanted to meet people. He enjoyed being by himself when, he, you know, he didn't. You know, he lived a pretty private life. It was just uh, him and us group of guys, you know, and our ladies. Uh, but from time to time, he liked to get out and meet people. But he wasn't, he wasn't normally calculating. And I don't say this is calculating, but I will say he... Had, he was on a mission, and he wanted something, and he was turned down by the head of the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs, which today is the DEA. So this was his last chance to get what he really wanted, and why did he want it? Because it gave him the right to carry concealed weapons, and he had had some pretty serious death threats on his life. So. Uh, you know, there was really reasons. It wasn't just crazy. Is there something about Elvis that you feel like hasn't really been captured that people don't, don't know about him? Absolutely. I think his intelligence, I think his creativity, Hollywood didn't give him the opportunity to really stretch as he wanted to do as an actor. Those creative disappointments really caused other problems. Michael Shannon, who plays Elvis in this film, doesn't look much like Elvis. But did he capture him? You know, he doesn't look much like Elvis, but did he capture Elvis? Absolutely. I think it's more important to have an actor of his caliber playing my friend. He, in subtle, subtle ways, really captured Elvis. I had given him a tape of Elvis talking just in regular conversation about his life and his career. This never been public. And Mike Shannon, between every take, when everybody's, you know, going back to the dressing rooms and taking breaks, 
he would be walking around listening to that tape. There's so, certain things that are so subtle that the audience won't get, and that's okay. There's a little laugh that Elvis had that's kind of like a hiccup that Michael does in this show uh, two or three times right off of that tape, Amy. You know, I think that's so interesting because there have been thousands and thousands of Elvis impersonators in the world, but they're impersonating the man when he's on stage or maybe when he's, in, he's not the real Elvis himself. Or I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say, but like they're they're impersonating one vision of Elvis, but the real Elvis might have been a different guy than the one that impersonators are imitating. Michael Shannon has played the most uh, deep inner Elvis that's ever been done. I think you forget, you know, first of all, he's a good-looking guy. It's just a different look than Elvis. But I think you forget about the look when you get into the film. You just because he. He plays this so deeply, you know, he, he, he's not over the top, he's, he's stronger than that. And I mean, when it, when it needs to be over the top, and it is a comedy, he can certainly do that, and he does. But all the, you know, there, there are some really sensitive scenes in this movie, and boy, I just, uh, he nails it. In the film, there's lots of scenes where Elvis walks into rooms and we, the camera goes and looks at all the people staring at Elvis to make us aware of the, fe- the effect he had on people when he would walk into a room. How aware of that was he? When he was out with people, he wanted to be recognized. He worked very hard to be Elvis Presley. He loved being Elvis Presley. He loved being the center of attention when he went out. When he didn't want to do that, guess what? We stayed at Graceland. We did private movies, but he loved being Elvis Presley. That was Jerry Schilling, best friend of Elvis Presley, talking about the true story behind the new movie, Elvis and Nixon. Here is a poker player's worst nightmare. You sit down at the card table, and there is J.K. Simmons. Not only is J.K. Simmons a longtime poker player who used to run his own weekly game, He's also an Academy Award-winning actor, which means his poker face deserves an Oscar. Oh, also, if you've seen Whiplash, you know he can be intimidating as hell. The good news is in JK's new movie, The Meddler, he plays a guy a little closer to his actual self, a charming motorcycle-riding cop who wins the heart of Susan Sarandon. He's really wonderful in The Meddler, which is a sweet surprise that I think a lot of people are going to enjoy. So this felt like a good time to talk to JK Simmons about his poker habit, and maybe even dare to bring up his most public loss. Okay, so I don't, I don't, I don't want to start this off by embarrassing you, but, but right you're about around, to, aren't you? I'm about to. Right around the time of Superman Two, I saw you on Celebrity Poker. You did very well. You beat Scott Wolf and you beat Lacey Chabert, you know, who played brother and sister on Party of Five. Yes, I did. You beat Robert Wagner, uh-huh. and then you got killed by Bonnie Hunt. Yeah, on a bad beat. I'm not gonna. I'm. I mean, I, I hate to come up with the bad beat story right off the bag, but she she nailed me on a three outer. So, I, I I made the right play. What can I say? You, Bonnie Hunt said a thing about you. I'm curious. What, I'm curious what you make of it. She said. That J.K. has the look of a guy in the old neighborhood who's carrying a beanbag ashtray, has a cigar in his mouth, and says, let's play a little poker, and then just wipes you out. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure whether to be flattered or offended by that. Uh, I, I guess both, I think. <laughs> um, 
I'm curious. I mean, having played poker with so many actors, with theater actors, who I wouldn't think have a lot of money to lose. No, no, no. We, we were literally, by that, I think we had escalated all the way up to uh, nickel-dime quarter by the time we were playing those games at the Beacon Hotel. So a good night, you might take home five bucks. Oh, no, 20 on a good night. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. yeah. Listen, I, you know what? I, I still don't, you know, I'm not a gambler. I like to play poker, but I'm not a gambler. I never play any house games. I don't bet on sports. I don't, I don't like losing money on stuff that I don't have any control over. And in, and in poker, I mean, obviously you can't control the cards, but you know, you, you have some control over over you know how you're playing. And and uh, there's uh, more skill involved. I mean, people that people that have been to a casino with who were like, oh, let's go play roulette. You know, I got I got a system. It's like, no, you don't. You have a system to possibly lose slightly less than the average tourist, but there is no system. The house wins is the system. From what I hear, I, I'm terrible at poker. I have no poker face. Let's play. Yeah, we should play. From what I hear, you know, a lot of poker is the demeanor you bring to the table or people reading each other, which makes me wonder, people might think they know you from their roles, or from your roles. And you know there was a stretch replay that got a lot of nice dads. Did that mean when you sat down at a table, you think people were like, "Oh, he's a nice guy," and like you, you could lean into a persona to get people to feel like they knew how you might play poker? I honestly never ever try to play anybody or be anything, or I, I just, I mean, I occasionally, you know, will pick up on a tell or or, or kind of get to read a guy. But I, I, I'm seriously, I'm sitting at a poker table just having a good time. You know, usually playing the cards, and you know, once in a while, you know, try a bluff here and there, and and, uh, but but the majority of the time, I'm not. That's that's why I'm not that good at it. I would imagine though that an actor would be good at poker. You know, you said that you can pick up sometimes on people's tells. Like you, I imagine that actors are good at noticing things about people, about being observant. Yeah, yeah. Actors who pay more attention than I do are good. You know, uh, Ben Affleck and. Uh, I mean, you know, lot, lots of actors. That yeah, I've, Ben Affleck is a good poker player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we've, we haven't played. And uh, we, we worked together for the first time, uh, um, God, over a year ago now in a movie that's coming out in the fall. But yeah, yeah, there's definitely uh, a, a lot of actors who, who have become... Pollock, actually, is another one. Kevin Pollock's, you know, a really good player. You think they use their actor skills to an advantage? I mean, because, like, you know, uh, just the basic of poker face, even... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, you know, and that's certainly something that I you know, uh, you know, um, that I more or less strive for. I mean, at the, at the same time that I'm just usually sitting at a table. The problem to me, honestly, at, at a lot of poker tables, and this is not a, not at the charity events, which is really mostly what I play now. But when you're playing at a casino, is the conversation at the poker table is about poker, which I just find really boring I mean we're we're playing poker you know so people who are like analyzing every hand or talking about the bad beat they had a week ago Tuesday or talking about you know the the books that they read or all this to me it's uh, I'd rather you know play the cards you know do a the 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 moderate amount of reading people that I do and um, talk about our kids or baseball or you know whatever something besides cards that's that's what we're doing yeah. I mean, I don't sit on a movie set talking about movies usually either. You know, you talk about whatever else you have in common with somebody. Well, speaking of sitting on movie sets, 
I think the movies make me feel bad about poker because I always just see people winning with these great hands and right, I never have right. any good hands. And I think yeah. it affects the way I play poker because I think, oh, a pair of sevens is nothing. And really, if our hero is going to win, he should win with the pair of sevens against a guy that's got a full house that he somehow, you know, intimidates into laying down that hand because of his brilliant poker playing. Yeah, that would be more dramatic than if he just had a lucky set of cards. Yeah. How come everybody get that? That's yeah, really he's wrong. Kind of like, that just means really he's anointed by God. That doesn't mean he's like a genius poker player. He's lucky. Yeah, that takes away all any all the dramatic tension about who that character could be, or all, all, or all of the impact of him winning. Sorry to spoil that for you. No, that's great. I mean, now I'm thinking about poker hands in a totally different way in movies. That it as you should. Yeah. Do you play video poker like on on a on a phone? No, no. No. <laughs> that seems like a slippery slope to me. That seems like one of those things that uh, that could get to be kind of obsessive, you know. Not saying that I don't play stupid games on my phone from time to time, but uh, like Mahjong, you know. Uh, poker to me is, like I said, poker is just, it, it's more of a, it's a quilting circle. It's a social event. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of Mahjong ruining anybody's life, but maybe I just don't know uh, it, I'm sure it has. I mean, people can get obsessed with anything. That's true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there are definitely people who I think Angry Birds has ruined their life, at least temporarily. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 anything could be a time suck. Yeah. This. I mean, this whole. I'm picking up my smart, my my allegedly smartphone, and uh, I have a I have a very much a love hate relationship with, well, technology in general, and and the extent to which it can be a. A time suck, and uh, which is one of the reasons that you know, poker. If I'm going to play poker, I want to sit around a table with human beings and, and you know have a conversation and and not uh, uh, you know not do it alone in a dark room or a trailer or something with you know strangers online or, or with a, you know you know a computer. Okay, can I ask a rude question? Oh, certainly, I might not answer it. How much money have you ever lost in one game? Um, not that much. I would guess that like maybe my worst night in the highest stakes game that I've played would be around a grand. Oh, that's nothing. No, well, you know, oh, it, it is, is for it's most nothing. people. Yeah. Um, you know, it certainly was for me most of my life until I, you know, until one thing led to another and I have more money than I ever thought I would have. Um, but no, I, I just don't, I don't play high stakes and, and, uh, and the few times that I do, I just play pretty tight. <laughs> that was J.K. Simmons, star of the new movie, The Meddler. Our last guest is Jane Marie, writer and radio guru and music supervisor who has helped shape shows like This American Life and Serial and our new fleet of podcasts here at MTV News. Jane Marie is also one of the coolest moms I know. She has her daughter's name tattooed on her neck. So, in honor of Mother's Day, I sent this badass mom to see the new comedy Mother's Day, starring Julia Roberts, Jennifer Aniston, and Kate Hudson. Mother's Day is the latest star-studded holiday ensemble from Gary Marshall, after his flicks Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve. It did not get good reviews this weekend, so let's ask this real-life mom if Mother's Day deserves a spanking. Two things about this movie make us look really good. One is that all of the children in Mother's Day are perfect. They're so well behaved and they're so nice to their parents. And then also everyone in this movie takes Mother's Day so seriously. And I wish 
that we actually took Mother's Day that seriously because then we could have more presents and stuff. But no one actually, in the real world, you, Mother's Day is not as important as it is in this movie. <laughs> yeah, this is, a, this is a world where people ask you like a month ahead of Mother's Day, what are you going to do for Mother's Day? I know. And everyone has a huge thing planned and there's like floats. I mean, a Mother's Day parade. Have you ever even heard of a Mother's Day parade? I have never heard of a Mother's Day parade. There's a lot of stuff in this movie that is not earthly. Well, I feel like you're starting off nice and gentle. So let's talk about this. What would you say is the thing that Mother's Day most gets wrong about motherhood? Literally everything. <laughs> there, was everything not, else. there was not one thing I related to. Like, um, let's see. What did they get wrong about motherhood? Everyone knows exactly what to do at all times, but they're not challenged at all by their children. Like I said, the children are perfect. So the mar- parents never have to parent in this movie at all. I'm impressed that you call these children perfect because for me in the first scene when the young boys are running around and saying that they're free balling and refusing to put on underwear, I was immediately overwhelmed. <laughs> then don't have kids. <laughs> I was like, this is a non-issue. There's no problems in your life. Those kids, even when the dad was like, get in the car, they left half-eaten donuts on their plates. That is not real life. If those were real boys, they would fight with their dad in order to stay and finish the entire box of donuts. They would not all like jump up from the table the exact same time to get in the car. One of them would have to go to their room for something, and then he would like fall down and bloody his nose and then another one would like run out in the street into front of traffic and you know what I mean or they'd be punching each other the whole time like they would be acting like children but all of these children did exactly what their parents said it was wonderful to watch actually (laughs) I was so jealous so this is like a fantasy film it was total fantasy and then the houses like the fact that the most overwhelming thing that Jennifer Aniston had to do in the entire movie was go to one meeting for work and she like lost her shit. She was late for her one work obligation. And the rest of the time she's doing yoga or jogging or like hanging out on her porch that has $25,000 worth of furniture on it. Wait, this is blowing my mind because I watched this movie and I thought, God, Jennifer Aniston's life looks so miserable. I never want to be a mother. Are you kidding me? Yeah. She no, doesn't seriously. do anything. She literally doesn't do anything. She has the fanciest clothes and her house is impeccable. I don't know how I never met the maid in the movie, but her house is perfect. She works out all the time. She has one meeting for work in like what seems to be a, the span of a week. Her ex-husband's the dude from Justified. <laughs> her life is perfect. No, I felt bad for her like at one. One moment made me upset. When she didn't get to go to Paris. Okay, that we have to talk about that. No, that didn't upset <laughs> me whatsoever. Go, just go fucking buy a plane ticket to Paris. You're like an adult. No, the part where she loaned her kids to the stepmom for Mother's Day, I was like, no. Like, that made me truly upset. I'm not with my daughter's father. And imagining whatever dipshit he's going to marry, taking my kids for a couple of hours on Mother's Day, no. Yeah, I thought that was one of the... I don't even care about Mother's Day. I just don't like that person. That hypothetical person. (laughs) And I don't want to be generous with her. That was actually one of the most painful scenes I thought in the movie where she gets given a Mother's Day present by her kids and then she realizes it was actually for their new mom. Mm -hmm. And it made me think, you know, there's this idea that a mother loves whatever your kid gives you. You know, that whatever your kid does, you love it. You're proud of them. No. 
Okay, because I, I disagree ask, entirely with that. If your daughter grew up to make a movie like Mother's Day, would you still love her? No, I would be like, this is garbage. What are you doing with your life? You're embarrassing me and your father. And you can do better. And you also need a better script supervisor. And you need a props person that was born in the latter half of the 20th century. Well, because that was what I was going to ask you. There's a time warp in this movie. It, for example, if this is the modern era, they're at... a a children's um, dance recital or musical recital, some sort of recital for kids, and all the parents have point-and-shoot cameras. Oh, my God, they went on iPhones. You're right. And then in the scene where the ex-husband is taking his new girlfriend or going to take his new girlfriend to Paris, he hands her a brochure about Paris. I noticed that. I was like, why is she looking at a brochure of Paris? Can't she just go on Wikipedia? Or doesn't she just know what Paris is by now? I know. Everyone knows what Paris is. You don't need a brochure for Paris. Where do you get the Paris brochure? Oh, I'm sorry. Have you heard of Paris? I guess that the travel agent, which is another thing that doesn't exist anymore. Like, there were so many weird things like that. Or there was a group of teenagers walking across the lawn at a high school, and one of them goes, Tom Brady's so hot. And I was like, "That kids are not talking about Tom Brady. No, at this point, Tom Brady is three times their age. He's as old as their dad. Like, those girls, that's their dad's age. Well, maybe that is one of the sources of what's so weird in this movie to me, because this movie seems to take place in an era where people are, like, aghast at gay marriage. Oh, yeah. They're aghast at interracial marriage. They're aghast at um, a price check on tampons. Oh, die. Kill me. Kill me. So embarrassing. And they're also still wrestling with this idea that you can't be a mom who has a career. Like, that's a brand new thing to Gary Marshall. Who you I... literally can't be a mom who has a career. The one woman who works in this movie says, I think three different times, that she chose to have a job instead of having a husband or a child. And everyone around her, when she says it, is just like, mm-hmm. We gotcha. I know. You have to make that choice. The very best part of this movie was... The fact that it forced me to spend two hours away from my kid. And there was no one in the theater, so I got to sit in the back row and vape the whole time. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, it was wonderful. You really <laughs> so good as I was hating it, I was still like, this is pretty sweet. Like, this is pretty nice a couple of hours. <laughs> that was Jane Marie, the most badass mom I know, weighing in on Mother's Day. I'm super glad she could join us, and I am super glad you could join us too. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Skillset. I'm Amy Nicholson, and if there's a movie question you want answered, tweet me. I'm at the Amy Nicholson. And tune in again next week for a new batch of experts, including actress Sienna Miller, and hopefully a new, new way to look at the movies. Skillset is a production of the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at MTV News and MTV Podcasts. You can subscribe to this and other MTV podcasts on iTunes.